Anxiously with Amy and Lisa. Now here are your hosts, Amy and Lisa. I'm Amy. And I'm Lisa. And this is Anxiously, the podcast where we talk about all the things that make us worry and stress out. So Lisa, how are you doing? I'm all right. (laughs) It's tax season. Thank goodness for the extension. Doing taxes is always unpleasant and (laughs) stressful. (laughs) And I have to say, like doing it this year just has brought back all of the anxiety of the past year and it's just been this big, horrible, ugly reminder of how tenuous everything is. We're so lucky that we've both got jobs and homes and food, but it's still just, I don't know, all the uncertainty of the last year just came rushing back. Oh my gosh, absolutely. We are so fortunate and privileged to have the stability that we do. But I agree. We're, we are also doing taxes. It's like one of my absolutely least favorite things about being an adult. And it's interesting because it made me realize that there is this umbrella under which I place adult paperwork. And that's like taxes, bills, my bank account. And all of that stuff stresses me out so much. And I my reaction to it is often just to bury my head in the sand. Like I just ignore it, which is the worst thing you could do. I remember when I was starting to be like a young adult out of college, my dad told me, you know, check your bank balance every day and, you know, stay on top of it. And for some reason, it just, I know that that's the right thing to do, but it sometimes stresses me out to just even look at it because it's like too much reality. (laughs) I totally relate. I also remember my parents sitting me down and teaching me how to balance my checkbook. And they faithfully kept ledger books for all the years of their marriage since, you know, the early 1970s. And I'm just, my instinct is to avoid. I know that it's shirking and it's not good. It's not the right thing to do. So I'm trying. I try. I do look at my bank accounts and check, but I hate it. I hate that part of being a grown-up. There is something just inherently stressful about money and finances and managing all that. And what I really hate is that my aversion to it makes me feel like that stereotype that women and money don't mix is true. Like, I I hate feeding into that idea that women are overwhelmed by money. And of course, that's a total fallacy. Women are just as good as men are with money. I mean, Janet Yellen is the Treasury Secretary. But historically, women were kept out of the financial sector, and they weren't always trusted to manage their own finances. Women couldn't even get credit cards till 1974, which is just so mind-boggling. 1974 is when women yeah. could get... That was the year my sister was born. I mean, that's so <laughs> recent. Like, my sister... <laughs> so recent. <laughs> women were not the breadwinners. Just the generation right before us, it was still pretty rare on the whole for a woman to be certainly the primary breadwinner. Right. So, yeah, in some ways it makes sense that women are kind of perceived as new to money and, and not in control the way, you know, the stereotypical image of, like, the male dominating. I'm thinking of shows like, you know, Succession and Billions and all these images of these powerful men running companies. And it's funny, it's 2021. And yet we still don't always get, you know, Sheryl Sandberg aside. (laughs) I feel like there's still that image. The other thing about money that I've been thinking about is it's always been so taboo for our generation and previous generations. Like we don't talk about how much we earn. My parents never talked about it in front of us. Like, I don't know, it wasn't something that 
was spoken about openly, it doesn't help us to feel more empowered or better able to be in control. I feel like I was raised to feel like it wasn't polite to talk about money. My parents are immigrants. We didn't have a lot of money. I feel like they shielded it from their kids that there was any, you know, issues with money. Like they never made us feel wanting for anything. But looking back now as an adult, I'm like, I almost wish they had like shared a little more so it would have been more transparent because I think adulthood was a little bit of a rude awakening for me. Like, oh yeah, I got to budget this stuff. I got to manage all this. I do think it's generational, though, because I suspect that this younger generation now is much more transparent about what they earn. And look at something like Venmo. I think it's such an interesting app, the way that it's often set to public and you can see what people are (laughs) spending their money on. And it's sort of like social media meets finance and people are cool with that. So I think maybe that's a good thing that money feels less taboo nowadays, but I'm not quite there yet myself. The unveiling of money is a good thing, but you know how I feel about technology and like apps and (laughs) oh my God, social media and mixing that with finances is just, making my mind feel like it's going to explode. I want to read you the headline on the cover of this week's New York Magazine. Can I spack my stonks with NFTs? What the fuck is an NFT? (laughs) I didn't understand any of that. Was that even English? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) This is all about the new finance, I think. The subhead is, and other reasonable questions about the new world of money. So money in general is kind of a made-up thing, right? Like, we have all agreed that these green pieces of paper have value. But now it feels more made up than ever. The world of money was always hard, of course. And I think it's getting even more slippery. I'd say even in the last like 20 years was what happened in 2008 and the stock market. Bernie Madoff just died. Like, remember that? And pyramid schemes? And (laughs) talk about money not feeling real or, or anything feeling secure. I remember back in 2001, 2002, when there was that big debacle with Enron and WorldCom and billions of dollars from people's pension funds and retirement funds were lost. And there were thousands of people who had been saving all their lives and suddenly had nothing. I don't know. It's scary. We are not going to solve these money matters ourselves. So luckily, we have a really wonderful guest today. Jean Chatsky is the CEO of HerMoney.com and host of the podcast Her Money with Jean Chatsky. She has appeared everywhere from CNN to MSNBC to The Today Show to Oprah. She's also a New York Times bestselling author, and her latest book is Women with Money, The Judgment-Free Guide to Creating the Joyful, Less Stressed, Purposeful, and Yes, Rich Life You Deserve. And now, here's our chat with Jean. Welcome, Jean, to Anxiously. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. We have some questions for you because we feel anxious about money and managing money and finances. We wanted to start by asking if you think that women in particular have a harder time managing money than men do, or if women generally don't feel as empowered when it comes to managing their finances. I think we don't feel as confident. Confident and empowered, I think, go hand in hand. When you think about the challenges that women face— they're real. We still earn just 82 cents on the dollar for every dollar a man earns. Women of color earn even less. We are still the ones, and the pandemic has just amplified this, 
who are taking breaks from the workforce to care for kids, to care for older parents, put those things together. And that means that when we get to retirement, we've got less money and then we live longer. So we have to make that smaller amount of money go further. Does this make us anxious? You bet. And the unfortunate thing about money is that it's one of those topics like sex that we just have not been schooled to talk about. We haven't been told it's okay. We haven't been encouraged to talk about it as much as we should talk about it. And as a result of that, our confidence is lacking and it's lacking a lot more than it should be. I was struck recently by a study that was done by a researcher named Anna Maria Lusardi, who has been big in this field for a couple of decades. And she looked at a financial literacy questionnaire and had both men and women answer it. And the interesting thing was she gave basically two rounds of tests And on one round of tests, there was an option to pick an answer for every question that said, I don't know. And on another round, there was not that option. When the I don't know answer was present, women chose it. And when it was not present, we chose the right answer, which means we know the answer. We just don't think that we know the answer. And that is really, really hard for women like many of us who don't like to act until we feel like we're going to get the answer to the question exactly right. That is so interesting. Do you have any practical tips for women or for anyone who doesn't feel confident about managing their finances for feeling like they can kind of get on top of it and feel more confident and more empowered to manage them? I think the first thing that we need to just accept is that there are two types of money questions. There are money questions that have answers and there are money questions that don't have answers. And when I say they don't have answers, I mean they don't have correct answers, right? So if you ask me, what is the credit card that provides the best cashback? I can answer that question and I can be right, right? I have to do a little research. I have to look at the landscape, see if anything has changed, but then I can tell you. If you ask me what the market's going to do next year, I can't answer that question and be right. Because we don't know. What we do have is some sense of history and what history tells us about market cycles and what history tells us about the fact that if you invest regularly, you buy at all levels, over time, the markets go up. And so you're better off being in them than not being in them. And we can talk about how to put together a diversified portfolio and hedge your bets and minimize your risk. But are we going to be 100% correct that it's going to lay out exactly the way I'm going to tell you? No, but neither is life. Life is not going to lay out exactly the way I'm going to tell you. So the first thing to do is get a little bit of an education. Try to read some stuff. Read a book, you know, read one of mine or subscribe to my newsletter, which comes out for free every single week at hermoney.com. And it's just the most important money stuff you need to know every week in a very digestible form. That'll be a start. At that point, I think it's important to fake it till you make it, to really get in there. And particularly when it comes to your investments, to just start doing it. We know that women leave much more cash on the sidelines than men do. And particularly now with interest rates so anemic, 
that money is just losing money after taxes and inflation. And so if you've got money that you don't need for emergencies or for the short term parked in a bank account, it really shouldn't be there. And then the last thing that I would say is there are three things that we know are proven to reduce financial stress. And I know you talk about anxiety, but I think stress and anxiety tend to, they go hand in hand, right? I mean, I don't, I don't think they're necessarily synonyms, but they're pretty Very close. close. <laughs> yes. So the three things, if you can do three things on a regular basis, your level of money stress will go down. One is to have a good six months worth of money put aside for emergencies. And if you don't have that now, or if you've used it during the pandemic, then just rebuild it. Focus on that. The second is saving at least 10% of your money for the long term. 10%, by the way, is not enough to be sustainable for the long term. I'd like to see you get closer to 15, but the data says, and this was a study done by Fidelity, the data says that if you can cross that 10% threshold, your level of stress will drop. And the third thing is have some goals, have a plan. It doesn't have to be a written plan. It can just be, this is what I want this year. This is what I want in three years. This is what I want in 10 years so that you have something that you're aiming for. And this is how I'm going to get there. That is so helpful. I feel like I'm taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) What is so scary about money? Like I struggle personally with even just diving into my bank account sometimes. Like it's, it's overwhelming, you know, and why do you think it does feel so overwhelming? There are a lot of moving pieces right? Becoming an adult financially, there's there's a lot you have to do. There are a lot of different boxes that you have to check off. And it does feel because of the barrage of financial advertising and because of all the new things. I mean, I don't know. I, I got my copy of New York Magazine in the mail a couple of days ago, and it's all about SPACs and NFTs and things people had not even heard of a year ago, right? Crypto. I mean, crypto is mind boggling. So I think there is this sense that, oh gosh, well, if I can't do it like these people who understand SPACs and Bitcoin and NFTs, I'm going to be a failure. And the reality is that if you want to have a financial life that works, you just have to do five things. And I figured this out about 15 years into my career writing about money in the shower. I was just sort of thinking about things and I was like, oh, it's really just these five things. You just have to do them over and over and over again. I think the shampoo bottle and the directions, the rinse and the repeat sort of got me going. You have to earn a decent living. You have to spend less than you make. A lot of people have trouble there, right? Because debt is way too easy to come by. You have to take the money that you're not spending and you have to invest it for your future. You have to protect the world you're building with an estate plan and the right insurance. And an estate plan can be as simple as the beneficiaries on your retirement accounts. It can be as simple as just having a will that names guardians for your kids, but it's really, really important if you have assets or people that you care about. And my number five is that you got to figure out a way to give back that is meaningful to you. But those that's it. And if you don't ever want to choose an individual stock, you don't have to. You can just put all your money in a target date retirement fund and just keep investing it and it will do the work for you. That is so helpful. It is, it is. And it does like lower the uh, anxiety level. It's funny, Amy and I were just talking about that New York Magazine cover and non-fungible tokens because we have no idea 
what it actually means. I feel like I'm missing something important and it's giving me a lot of stress. And I think you should do a whole show on crypto makes me anxious, right? <laughs> I think I think you should and have somebody, somebody wrote a book called Bitcoin for Dummies. I actually had her on my podcast have her on to break it down because if if you know if you're anxious because oh my gosh you thought bitcoin was expensive when it was $7000 and now it's $62000 let's talk about that i think the thing to understand is that our paper money has value because people believe it has value bitcoin similarly has value because people believe it has value similarly for all crypto and the limited supply of Bitcoin, the fact that only a certain number of tokens will ever be mined is driving a little bit of this frenzy. Whereas if you're looking at what's going on with the government and the stimulus bills, they've been printing a lot of money. So that's sort of where some of this is coming from. Finances can be a a big source of strife for a lot of couples and families. I'm wondering if you feel like people need to see completely eye to eye on that when they're in a sort of domestic partnership, if two partners and a couple need to be totally aligned regarding how they manage their finances, if that's even possible, if that's a fantasy. And what do people do when they're not aligned? I think it's helpful to be aligned on the big stuff, but that asking people to be aligned on the little stuff is asking too much, right? When we marry somebody, we're not marrying ourselves. We're not partnering up with ourselves. We have different things that we want, different things that we need, different choices that we make about what we want to do with our money. I mean, those goals that I talked about earlier, you know, what do we want this year? What do we want in three years? What do we want in 10 years? If you can line up on those things and then figure out how you're going to use your limited resources together in order to get there, that's pretty spectacular. If you're struggling about the fact that one of you wants to spend a lot of money golfing on the weekends and the other one of you thinks golf is ridiculous, then that's where you give each other some space. Right. Assuming that whatever the single minded pursuits happen to be are within the budget. I think you got to live and let live. You know, my husband likes to spend an awful lot of his time and some of his money on fantasy baseball and watching baseball and all the baseball packages. And I could not care less. But I like to spend time and money on my Peloton and that really doesn't make him happy at all. So it's figuring out that you fell in love for reasons that have nothing to do with your similarities, but really have to do with your differences. And how do you how do you make that work? And if you want some autonomy as far as managing your money, if you don't want to merge everything, then don't merge everything. In my last book, which is called Women with Money, I actually laid out 12 real examples of how different couples manage their money all slightly different. And I did it because they are all working. There's no right way or wrong way to do this. It's just that society or people that you know may tell you that you're nuts if you don't, oh, if you don't have your own account, well, that's crazy. Or if you don't merge everything, you're making life hard on yourself. There's no right or wrong answer here. The right or wrong answer is what's right for you. What is a problem is when one spouse takes their eye off the ball and doesn't have a stake in 
how the money is being managed in the family. I was on the phone last week with a a friend's sister-in-law whose husband died in his sleep in his 40s. And fortunately, she is really in tune with what they were doing financially. They were equal partners. But if they hadn't been, the nightmare scenario is that you don't know where anything is. You don't know how to pay the bills. You don't know how to change the investments in your portfolio. You haven't met with the financial advisor or the lawyer in years. Something happens and you're left to pick up the pieces. That's what we don't want. Oh, that's so scary and such a good reminder. Similarly, on a similar topic of family, kids, how important is it and when is it kind of the right time to make sure your kids are sort of money literate? Yeah, I mean, I think what kids need to understand, again, is this concept that money is a limited resource and you have to make choices, right? And kids understand choices as early as two or three. They can understand that money has value as young as four. And so you can start teaching them when you're in the grocery store and they're in the shopping cart. You can have a running dialogue about, well, we're going to get the post raisin brand this week and not the Kellogg's because the post is on sale and on sale means it's less expensive, even though it really tastes pretty much the same. You just keep having this conversation. I believe in allowances. I think people don't learn to manage money until they have money to manage. And so you give kids money, but you also give them a list of things that they have to pay for with that money, things that you know that they really want that you're not going to pay for anymore so that they're forced into de facto budgeting, right? They're forced into using their resources for things and figuring out how much of those things they actually can buy. And then I think it's really important that kids work. You know, I started babysitting at 11. I'm sure you guys started somewhere around the same age. It's remarkable how the money that your children earn is so different than an allowance. It's so different than any money that you give them. It's all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is an hour of my time. They get that. What age do you think kids should start being given an allowance? When they start school, you know, people have different ideas about whether working for an allowance is something that you want your kids to do, whether they have to do chores around the house just because they are part of the family, which is sort of where I stand, or whether they have to do them in order to earn their allowance. If you have kids who are not motivated by money, the risk in tying it to an allowance is that they're going to just decide they don't really care about the money enough to load or unload the dishwasher. You have given us so much helpful advice already, but we were wondering if you had any last words of wisdom, especially in this year of the pandemic where things have felt so unstable and the future feels so unknowable right now. I think try to hold on to some of these habits that we've formed in the pandemic. We've gotten a nice window into what's important, but we've also learned that we have cooking skills that we didn't know we had and that we don't have to go to the grocery store every day. We can go once a week with a list. We can meal plan. We can walk for exercise. It doesn't have to be an expensive form of exercise. We actually have a lot of clothes already in our closet and even ones that we're not wearing. And so I think, hold on to that a little bit. It it gives you a little bit more agency over how you're going to run your financial life. That is so true. I definitely have like gotten much more comfortable with cooking this year, (laughs) which has helped spending less on takeout. Is there anything that makes you feel anxious? 
I'm not a tremendously anxious person, but I really don't like scary movies and scary television shows. They make me anxious. I don't like a lot of gore and I don't like not knowing the what's coming down the pike. I like being pretty in control of, of what's happening. So those things I think would be at the top of my list. I relate to all of that. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Jean. This was so great. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope that your listeners will tune into our Her Money podcast as well. I am subscribing to her newsletter as soon as we get off this Zoom. I am reading the books. I am listening to the podcast. I am going to educate myself and get a grip. Same here. Oh, my gosh. She was so helpful with that stuff. I am going to do the same. I am going to stop avoiding (laughs) and start engaging. I will say some of the things she said spiked my anxiety. Like, you should be saving X amount. I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, (laughs) I spent all that on anthropology. (laughs) Anyway, we won't talk about that. But, yes, lots of good takeaways there. We should check in with each other. Yeah, keep each other accountable. So what are you doing to feel more chill this week? So there's this show on Netflix that I absolutely love called Stissel. I love Stissel. What? Wait, was that going to be your thing? Totally. (laughs) It came out a few years ago for the first time, seasons one and two, and season three just launched. It's an Israeli show about an ultra-Orthodox Jewish family living in Jerusalem, and it's wonderful. It's sort of like some TV critic or someone called it The Sopranos with Soup, (laughs) which I thought was such a great way to describe it. But to me, it's a little bit Jane Austen-y. It's sort of like a story of the various social rules of of this world. And it's so well done and smart. Are you all caught up? Like, No, 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 no spoilers. So no spoilers, but we will discuss it once we finish. as soon as I'm done. Are you done? Did you finish? Yes, I did. But I feel like I now want to rewatch it because I do find it even it's like an intense show. I mean, there's definitely some heavy stuff, but I also find it like relaxing and beautiful. So, and you don't have to be Jewish to love like that old rye bread ad. <laughs> you don't have to be Jewish to love Stissel. <laughs> it's really just about a family and, and the dramas of it. And that's what's so great about it. So I highly recommend. I second that. I second that recommendation. Well, this has been a lot of fun and very enlightening. Yes. Are you feeling a little bit less anxious? A little bit. How about you? Slightly. I still have to do my taxes, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I always feel better after talking with you because I know you get it. And I know you get it. We hope all of you listening get it too. See you next time. Bye. Anxiously is brought to you by Tablet Studios. Our producers are Josh Cross, Sarah Fredman Ader, and Robert Scaramuccia. Our music is by the best band in the world, Low Cut Connie. Please rate and review us on iTunes so more people can find us. It really helps. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at anxiouslypod. And if you have feedback or questions about the show, email us at anxiously at tabletmag.com. For more information about the show, head to tabletmag.com slash anxiously and check out all of Tablet's podcasts at tabletmag.com slash podcasts. See you later. I mean, what is this world? I mean, what is this? <laughs> so I do know that an NFT, because I spend all my time online, an NFT is a non <laughs> 
fungible token. It's basically like a meme that cannot be reproduced. So therefore, it's very valuable. And they've sold for like tons of money. It's, it's, it's like very art. valuable. It's, like, it's a meme. It's like I can have cheeseburgers. <laughs> oh no, this is li- I think we've lost Lisa. Apparently, there's like now cryptocurrency that's based on memes, which makes my brain hurt. Our producer Josh just told us it's like a Shiba Inu meme. It took me forever just to understand what a meme is. <laughs> Forget like memes and money. <laughs> 